Breaking the Cycle of Poverty, featuring Jay Height, Executive Director of Shepherd Community Center in Indianapolis. My name is Tim Swearens, and I'm your host for these conversations that explore why poverty remains such a persistent problem in the United States. On this episode, we're continuing our conversation with Shepherd Assistant Director Tim Street about the 10 essential assets a person needs to break out of poverty and to sustain independence. Um, Jay, you, you've often talked on this podcast about the, the importance of relationships in our spiritual, emotional, mental health. What role do friends and other healthy relationships play in terms of breaking free from poverty? Well, I think the epidemic that leads to hopelessness is loneliness. And the epidemic of violence is the result of feeling like no one cares, no one knows I exist. Uh, A recent tragedy of a gunman who shot several people in a mall uh, they estimated he had gone four months without talking to anyone, and he lived in an apartment complex. So it's not based on proximity. It's it's really that connection. And if I'm not connected, then I don't think anyone knows I exist, and they don't see me. And, you know, I've said it many times, we're all Legos created for connection, different shapes, different sizes, different colors. But like a Lego, we're made to connect on the top to God and on the bottom to each other. And when you bring multiple Legos together, you can build amazing things. I've seen some of these Lego artists who can just, you know, you think these little, these little bricks can build wonderful things, and that's how it is with human lives. But we live in a, uh, what I heard, a relationship recession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tim, let's talk about hope and why hope and the ability to think about the future in a, in a, in a sustained way is important to the assets. What, is, what does hope have to do with, in terms of being able to think about the future and why is that important, that future orientation? Well, I mean, the reality is, you know, we don't think necessarily about how a future orientation affects our daily decisions. Um, but the reality is if we don't have a future story, if we don't have some idea, some picture in our minds of where we would like to be, some number of years down the road, then we don't necessarily have anything that guides our daily decisions. Um, and, and you know, a future story is simply the answer to the question, where are you going to be five years from now? And, you know, when I'm in a, when I'm in a big group of, uh, of folks that we're teaching who might be volunteers here or at a big church, maybe suburban church, and, you know, I'll ask them, you know, how many of you in the room would have, you know, some idea of where you'd like your life to be five years from now? Mm-hmm. From the perspective of uh, you know career and family and education and other things like that, and um, every hand will go up. Uh, and as a result, you know they 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 uh, you know they make daily decisions to make sure that that future story comes true. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give you a funny example of what I mean by that. <laughs> you know, I have lots of future stories, and I tell people all the time. One of my future stories is to sleep next to my wife for the next 30 or 40 years. Mm-hmm. But there's something that threatens that, and that's my snoring. Mm. And so a few years ago, I got, you know, uh, on top of my health a little bit, lost some weight, stopped snoring. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. But every once in a while, I'll start snoring again, and she'll, like, you know, kick me out. And, uh, and I have a nice place to go sleep. But uh, uh, I've, I've figured out there's this line on the scale mm-hmm. above which I snore, below which I don't. So now I make daily decisions to stay below that line to stay on my health. In other words, that simple future story affects my daily decisions, what I eat and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. 
Well, imagine, if you would, a child growing up in poverty, you know, going to school, having no future story, having no concept of where they want to be five, ten years from now. Then they're going to make, they're, they're just going to make daily decisions just to get to, the, especially if they're living in poverty. Their daily decisions are simply going to get to about getting to the end of the day. There's going to be no traction uh, on getting to think about tomorrow. You know, you ask middle class kids who are seniors in high school, where are you going to be five years from now? They'll tell you, uh, uh, well, I'll be in my first year of grad school. I'll be in my first year of uh, a job in my, my chosen career. I'll be back here, you know, working for my parents, getting ready to take over the business someday. I'll be married. I'll have a home. And the common denominator among all the answers is I will. And the first two words, if you ask kids in poverty, you know, where are you going to be five years from now? We're growing up in generational poverty. Uh, the answers will be, I don't know. I'm thinking about going to college. You know, I, I'd, I'd like to thinking about the army, I'd like to become an mm -hmm. accountant. And very rarely is there an I will. And, uh, and, and those kids who say I will, you know, they, they are driven because they've been told their whole lives, if you do these things, this is what will happen. They believe this is what will happen. And they believe they're behaving in a way today to make that become a, their future story become a reality. Is future orientation something that can be taught, something that can be learned? Well, I think it's certain. Yeah, I think we can. I mean, I, I don't know if it can be taught like in a classroom. Sure. But it can certainly be taught through our relationships. And uh, I mean, every one of those kids, if I were to go up to, you know, Carmel High School on the north, you know, the north side, and I ask 10 kids, you know, upper middle class kids, where are you going to be five years from now? Every one of those answers will come out of the relationships that they have with their parents. And, you know, we tell our kids, you can become anything you want to become. And, you know, again, I'll be back in that room and I'll say, how many of you ever told your children you can become anything you want to become? And every hand will go up. And I'll say, why do you tell them that? Because we, we want them to believe it. We want them to dream big and go for things. Uh, but the reality is it's not really true. I mean, kids can't become anything. They may not have the talent for sure. certain things. But we want them to strive, you know. And um, I always tell the story of my own daughter who came to me when I was 12, when she was 12 and said, I can, you, Daddy, you think I can be an Olympic-level volleyball player? And I told her, yes, if you work hard enough, you can be an Olympic-level volleyball player. Mm -hmm. Well, I was not really telling her the truth uh, because I know what an Olympic-level volleyball right. player looks like. And don't get me wrong, she became a pretty good high school volleyball player. Mm -hmm. And I think she became good because she thought she could. But then she also came to me and said, Dad, do you think I can, a year later when she was 13, said, Dad, do you think I can go to an Ivy League school and become a trauma surgeon in the Army and later enter the astronaut program at NASA? And I said, yes, you can if you work hard enough. And, and, I, and I, you know, I wasn't lying to her. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, you know, and she, she made different decisions. She's in college now. She, made, she went a different way. But when she graduated from high school, she was in a position to be able to make those decisions to send her on that course. Be, but I think the only difference between her and my next door neighbor's, you know, kid, Quincy, mm -hmm. um, is that when I met Quincy when he was 13 years old, I was the first person in his life to tell him that he had a really bright future. He was probably, probably the smartest kid I ever met in my life. And, um, you know, Frederick Douglass, and I think we've said this before, Frederick Douglass said it's easier to build strong children than it is to repair broken men. Mm -hmm. But at the age of 13, we were already in the job of repairing a broken man with Quincy. Mm -hmm. And uh, a little too late for him to start hearing that narrative. Uh, but so we learn the answer so back to the answer to your question. We learn a future orientation through the relationships we have, through it seeing it modeled in our parents, you know, who, who, you know, who strive towards the future. I, you know, one of my own 
one of my other children right now is, is trying, you know, is doing the whole adulting thing right now. And mm-hmm. he's talked to me about, Dad, I watched you my whole life. Something will come up and you'll immediately start thinking about the future ramifications for that. Because I never, I have only started doing that recently, but I'm learning, but I've learned it from you. And I think we, you know, we learn it through our relationships and, and things like that. So I'm not sure it can be taught out of a book, but it can, but th- that's why these assets, mm-hmm. none of them are silos uh, unto themselves. Right. None of them are gained, you know, nobody's going to score perfect on one asset mm-hmm. and, and zero on all the others. Um, they're, they're a package, they're an important package, uh, but, uh, but, but they're gained really sort of in, uh, together. I think part of it is while you're not teaching a curriculum, you're teaching a perspective. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and for many of our kids, they don't look, I mean, just drive down the street of our neighborhood. There's buy here, pay here, payday loans, rent to own. Mm-hmm. All of these stay in this mindset of today or this week. And us being able to remove them from that and then teach them a perspective that says, okay, what's it going to take to get there from here? Mm-hmm. You could go to college, which in many times that's the first time uh, they've ever heard anyone say that because high school was, they think, is their greatest achievement. It's one of the reasons why former superintendent uh, Eugene White would say there was no celebration at high school, you know, where they'd go crazy because he says that's just a stepping stool. That's not mm-hmm. the greatest achievement in your life. We don't want to make a big deal about it. We want to celebrate it in a proper way. And I think for us, we want to give them the ability to see a perspective, to engage that. I think poverty takes away your ability to see anything but what's right in front of you, mm-hmm. and and that includes the future. Yeah, and and with kids growing up in generational poverty, you know they they don't really they may not know a single person who went to college who's who's demonstrated that mm-hmm. that type of long term planning. I just finished the book Invisible Child, which won the Pulitzer Prize followed the life of a, of a young girl growing up in New York City over the course of eight years, and, and uh, I mean, in deep, deep poverty. And at one point in time, her mother tells her, don't plan. You know, the, the reporter overhears her mother saying, mm-hmm. no, we can't make plans, because if we make plans, we can't react, mm-hmm. you know. We'll be stuck. And, and so there, in that case, a mother's actually teaching her children not to plan. Right. And let's just get to the end of the day and react to the situation as we go. And, and the children never really learned to, to think about future consequences and plan for the future and things like that. And so they don't develop that future story. How do you communicate hope to somebody who's in deep pain here and now? I think part of it is helping them not, you know, I don't go, oh, Tim, that's really horrible. Let me tell you how bad I've got it. That, that doesn't help anyone. Right. But sometimes being honest about our own struggles because what their perspective is, is Tim or Tim have no problem. Jay, oh, that's, you know, he doesn't have any challenges in his life. And so being more transparent about some of the challenges that we have in our own lives, in our own families, and and uh, how that looks, I think it it takes away the this uh, misconception that if you've grown up in this arena, you have no problems. I think some of the loneliest people I've met are the wealthiest people I've met. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because achievement doesn't bring connection. Money brings lackeys, those who would latch on 
to benefit from that. But I, I think a lot of times um, it's this idea of, of not having a connection or a relationship is not just in poverty. What it does when you have those relationships in poverty, it gives you the ability to rise above and to share in our hurts and pains. And I think that's where hope comes as we're living life. It's it's the book of Acts. You know, it was us living life and, and journeying together to know each other's story. I was delivering um, uh, Thanksgiving baskets, my wife and I, yesterday. And this lady said, uh, she was talking about you, Tim. And she said, you know, he met me at for coffee one time to tell me his story because her son had been murdered and she said I've always struggled with that mm-hmm. and and so out of Tim's story it helped her regain some hope mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that okay so I can move on from this I don't have to le- live in bondage so you've both been doing this ministry for for quite some time um, this question's for both of you. What what keeps you going? What keeps you energized and passionate? It's a hard, it's hard, it's a hard call. Uh, what keeps you going? My wife doesn't want me to sit around the house. Uh, I think for me, it's those small victories. Mm-hmm. It's seeing someone who took a D to a B. It's that family that says, "Yeah." I can do this. Uh, it's it's the student who got the part time job and is talking about what they want to do next. Um, that's where it is for me. Yeah, I would say the answer is pretty similar. Probably different types of little victories. I mean, no, mm-hmm. since I'm no longer really involved in the you know day to day programming of of the ministry and and, and haven't been for a long time now, and I'm out teaching and and sharing the the things that we've learned. For me, it's the people that I know who are doing something in ministry that uh, that they might not have been doing uh, without uh, having come to one of the classes that we teach or having been in a relationship with me. Um, it's it's a real joy uh, to know that there are people out there, some who have started their own ministries, others who are just simply doing it better. That there are that there are ministries out there that have changed the way they do some of the things they do through our teaching. And, you know, I'll I'll confess, when I first came out of seminary a long, long time ago and was involved in a a ministry that was uh, one of the founding ministries of the CCDA movement, and I I saw myself as the sort of the next generation of great CCDA leaders who would, you know, start this great ministry someday. And and God let me know that I wasn't that guy fairly in fairly short order, that I was going to be the guy behind the guy. And uh, so for me, um, you know, when I see somebody, uh, you know, who comes up and, and says, you know, I'm, I'm doing this now because five years ago mm-hmm. I was sitting in your Poverty 101 class or something like that. That, you know, that, that for me just, you know, that, that just gets, you know, one, one of those a year and I'm good, you know. So, Tim, any final thoughts you want to share before we wrap up this episode? Well, I, you know, other, I mean, we're talking about hope and future orientation. I mean, you know, those are just so important. And, you know, hope is, I kind of think of hope as as the umbrella over all of the assets, Um, because I think hope 
only comes about when you really begin to see your own efficacy to change, to make changes in your life. And when kids grow up with the ability to see that they can become something in the future, then that hope is developed. And, uh, and I don't think they get there without, uh, without acquiring some of those assets that we talk about. Yeah. So. Jay, any last thoughts? Um, I think the challenge to us is we can all be hope givers in every phase of our life. You don't have to come to the Near East side to do that um, because we, it's, it's when we connect to people that we begin to instill in them hope that life can be different. And so whether it's the person at the bank or the person at the grocery store or at work or in our family or in our school, those are all those opportunities for us to help build a future orientation and, and a level of hope in their life. Thank you, Jay and Tim. For 38 years, Shepherd Community has made a lasting difference in the lives of thousands and thousands of neighbors. And the Shepherd team couldn't do that work without the support of donors, partners, and volunteers. To learn more about how you can help, please visit shepherdcommunity.org. Thank you for listening.